you would turn with me in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 12. Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 12. God is at work in a great way. No matter what our circumstances, He is still the Lord. Ezekiel was a prophet. He was from the line of Aaron, a priest. He lived about 600 B.C. The first Babylonian captivity of Judah happened in 605 B.C. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego were taken into captivity. Ezekiel was taken into Babylon in the second captivity in 597 B.C. And 11 years later, Jerusalem and the temple would be destroyed and the final group taken away. During this time, Ezekiel was the prophet of Judah in exile. At the same time, Jeremiah was the prophet of Judah in Jerusalem. Ezekiel had a vision of God, exalted on the throne of sapphire, appearing as a man with a rainbow surrounding him. He had a vision of four living creatures, the seraphim of God. He knew who God was and God's power, and he also knew what was going on in their circumstances, and there was quite a stark contrast between the glory of God and the judgment on Israel. As 1 Peter 4, verse 17 says, judgment begins with the house of God. So Judah was about to be judged for their sin and rebellion. The people needed a heart transplant, not because they had plaque and... Uh, Blocked arteries, not because they had too much cholesterol, but because they had too much sin in their hearts. They needed to remove their dead heart of stone and be replace it with a heart of flesh given to them from God. In his prophecy in chapter 11, verse 12, it says this, You will know that I am the Lord, for you have not followed my decrees or kept my laws, but have conformed in the, to the standards of the nations around you. You're doing just like the nations around you. You conform to them. There's two options in life now. There's two options then. To do what is good and godly and right and true, what's loving, or to conform to the rest of the world, the nations. Uh, the nations could also be translated as the heathen, the pagans to do what the rest of the world is doing. And then and now and every time in between, the usual way of conforming <clears throat> most likely is centered around greed and the pursuit of pleasure. Being worldly in that matter. What was Judah's problem? It was idolatry. Worshiping other gods. We may not have a massive number of statues and idols surrounding us, but there's still idolatry. Colossians 3.5 says, Greed is idolatry. Jesus taught no one can serve two masters. You cannot, you either hate one and love the other, be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees of Jesus' time would never think of bowing down to an idol. They would have rather have been put to death than to bow down to an idol. But one of their main problems was greed. Greed is idolatry. Greed involves putting things ahead of God. It involves pursuing created things rather than the God who made them. Paul 
somewhat alludes to this in Romans chapter 1, verse 21. It says, For although they know God, they neither glorify Him as God nor give thanks to Him. Then in verse 25, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator. Greed is a dead-end street. Why is that? The truth is, greed is never satisfied. Greed is never satisfied. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. Ecclesiastes 4.4 says, I saw that all labor and all achievement spring from man's envy of his neighbor. This too is meaningless, a chasing after of wind. Greed is never satisfied. It compares to others. Compares to what others are doing, what others have. Well, he's got a new Chevy Silverado half done. Now, if you see Keith Parkerson, tell him that I use Chevrolet in there, okay. He was a big Chevy dealer back in the day. Or she's wearing the latest designer jeans. And there's absolutely no help in comparing yourself to others when it comes to wealth, when it comes to clothes, when it comes to homes, when it comes to cars, when it comes to looks, when it comes to health, when it comes to height or strength or abilities or gifts, or even comparing yourself with others when it comes to behavior, good behavior, bad behavior. It's enough to say. It's enough for you to say by faith. God has made me. God has made me in His image. Christ Jesus died for me on the cross. I put my faith in Him. My sins are forgiven. I'm a saved person. I've asked Him into my life. The Holy Spirit dwells within me. I have a home prepared in heaven. And if you got that, what do you need to compare to? You do not need to compare yourself to others. When you look at others, if you're into comparing, it's a matter of what are they? I'm not. They're not. I am. Back and forth, back and forth. There's no satisfaction there. But when you look at others, God wants you to value their souls and love them, not envy them or compare yourself to them. Greed is never satisfied. Greed is never satisfied because there will always be something more. There will always be something more. Have you ever found yourself thinking, you know, if, if I had this, my life would be complete. If I just had this, my life would be complete. And then you have it. And then you think, well, if I had that, my life would be complete. It just keeps going. And going and going, greed is never satisfied. The Bible says in Hebrews 13:5, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because he has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Greed and wealth leads to Clutter also leads to time consumption. 
spending time on things that uh, we could be spending on something else that would be better. Many of our lives are surrounded by junk. I remember a conversation with one older lady who wondered, what will happen to all my things when I'm gone? And I thought, well, your kids will probably back up a truck to the house and load it up and take it off to the dump. Get rid of it. The more you have, the more time you have to spend taking care of it. Instead of owning wealth, wealth will own you. You may be so busy with your possessions, keeping them up, keeping track of them, keeping them good working operating condition. You may stay out of trouble because you're so busy, but you may also be so busy you never have time for the Lord Jesus in your life. What can be one of the biggest things uh, to, in the way of spending daily times in your home with your family in prayer and reading the Bible and asking God to speak to you? One of the biggest things can be, I'm just too busy. I've got things to do. I've got stuff to keep up. I've got greed to pursue. Greed is never satisfied. Greed leads to clutter and time consumption. And greed and the pursuit of wealth are finally, absolutely, always empty. Empty. It's all going to burn one day. It's all going to burn one day. All the wealth in the world cannot save you. Psalm 49, verse 7 says, No man can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for him. The ransom for life is costly. No payment is ever enough that he should live on forever and not see decay. Bill Gates is worth $109 billion. He's 68 years old. In America, the average life expectancy for a male is 77 years. On average, he's got nine to go. And his $109 billion can't change a thing. And he's going to leave it behind for somebody else. 1 Timothy chapter 6 speaks about greed and the pursuit of wealth. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6 says, Godliness with contentment. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, men of God, flee from all this. Pursue righteousness. Pursue godliness. Pursue faith. Pursue love. Pursue endurance. Pursue gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life in which you were called. 
Do not conform to the world that tells you to be greedy. And we all have to work, all have to make a living. That's fine. That's great. But instead of being greedy, think of how you use your wealth. Do I use my wealth to, to show God's love to others? Because I provide for my family. Because I do this with it. I do that with it. You think of how to use your wealth to show God's love to others and to please God. The heathen world would have you conformed to greed, and the heathen world would have you conform to the pursuit of pleasure. Now, some things are obviously, or maybe they used to be obviously, obviously and always wicked and evil. Sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 says, flee from sexual immorality because every other sin that a man commits is outside the body and he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Glorify God with your body. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3 says, This is God's will for you, your holiness, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. In Hebrews 13, verse 4 says, Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed be kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. The Bible clearly says that pursuit of pleasure, sexual immorality, is wicked and evil. Drunkenness and drugs. He, Ephesians 5, 17 says, Do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Many in the world pursue those things. And those two things alone are devastating society this very day. But our whole society has been immersed in the idea of the pursuit of pleasure. So that even good things are perverted and twisted. Even good things are abused and overused. Rarely, even as born-again believers and Christians, do we think about, oh, I've got some spare time on my hand. Rarely do we think and plan how to spend our time serving God, loving others, reaching the lost. It's all too easy to conform to the nations, to the heathen, and get wrapped up in the pursuit of pleasure. How? How do we do that? What things? Talking about a good meal. Man, I can't think, oh, I want to have a good meal. Spend a lot of money on a nice meal. Or hobbies. Or hunting. Or movies. Or TV. Or sports. Or boating. Or camping. Or travel or music concerts. Taylor Swift and her ears tours brought in $4.1 billion because there's so many people that can't think of anything better that they'd rather do than go to a Taylor Swift concert. To have the latest, the fastest, the highest, the longest amusement park rides, to go to haunted houses, to get an adrenaline rush. There's nothing wrong with having fun. Enjoying a tasty meal. Enjoying many of these things. 
But most of us have been conditioned by our world and society to conform to the world, so that's what we naturally think. So that we naturally think, what, what would be fun to do rather than first of all thinking, what would be good to do? Too often, we're, we're, we make our decisions and our thought patterns go that way. What would I enjoy doing rather than what can I do that will be good for me, for God, for others? Next time you have free time to feel, do not conform to the heathen world, but think, what can I do that will please God? Romans 12, verse 2 says to offer your bodies as a... Considering the mercies of God, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. It says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Solomon and Ecclesiastes wrote that if there was somebody who had accumulated a lot of wealth, it was Solomon who had a lot of pleasure. It was Solomon with all his accumulated wealth, with all his pursuit of pleasure. Solomon says, I just denied myself no pleasure that could be found. And Solomon says, it was vanity. It was empty. It was a chasing after of wind. And instead he wrote in chapter 12, verse 13. So the end of the matter is this. Fear God and keep His commandments. For that's who, what we were made for. That's the whole duty of man. The whole duty of man. <clears throat> Ezekiel 11, verse 19. says, I will give them an undivided heart and will put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. God says the people need a heart transplant. need to take out their heart of stone. What's He mean by a heart of stone? Heart of stone would be hard and stubborn. Isaiah 48, 4 says, For I know how stubborn you were. The sinews of your neck were iron, and your forehead was bronze. We got a nice a modern American phrase called hard headed. Hard headed. Stubborn. Jeremiah 16, verse 12 says, See how each of you is following the stubbornness of his evil heart instead of obeying me. Jeremiah 18, verse 11, Turn from your evil ways, each one of you, and reform your ways and your actions. And the people replied, It's no use. We will continue with our own plans. Each of us will follow the stubbornness of his evil heart. Stephen confronted the Sanhedrin, the Jews, with these very words, You stiff-necked people, a neck of iron. You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You're just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. 
Many people are stubborn. Stubborn, why? Because they refuse to repent of their sins. Stubborn because they refuse to change. Stubborn because they refuse to put their faith to believe in God and trust Him. Stubborn because they refuse to admit that they've got a problem. Stubborn because they refuse to admit their need for the Lord Jesus and the forgiveness of their sins. Stubborn because they refuse to consider that there's a heaven and hell at stake, not just consequences in this life. What is the heart of stone? A heart of stone is hard. It's stubborn. What is the heart of stone? It's a cold, lifeless, dead heart. There's no blood pumping through that one. Cold, dead, and lifeless. It's a heart without God. Ephesians 2, verse 1 says, You were dead in your transgressions and sin. You didn't have a heart pumping. It was stone. You were dead in your transgressions and sin. A heart of stone is a dead heart. But there is hope, as Paul writes in Romans 6. He says, Since we've been saved by grace, you would keep on sinning that grace may abound by no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? And then in verse 3, it says, uh, uh, We die to sin. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with Him like this in His death, we will certainly also be united with Him in His resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with Him so that the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe we will also live with Him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, He cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over Him. The death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. In the same way, consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you're not under law, but under grace. But under grace. A stone heart is a cold, dead, lifeless heart. Dead in sin, buried away. But God's promise, He says, is for an undivided heart. An undivided heart. Literally says one heart. You have one heart. A, purpose, a heart with one purpose. Now, the human heart has four chambers, atria and ventricles. And the Bible, though, heart is often talking about our thinking, our brain. The human brain, though, has four lobes and a cerebellum. And in our sinful flesh, it's, it's too easy to live with a divided heart. Four parts. Four parts. This part's for me. That part's for my family. That part is for the world. And i got another part there that's for God. 
four parts. But He's to give us one heart, one mind, an undivided heart that belongs to God, that is bought by the blood of the Lord Jesus. It's all His. And if it's all His, then it means a willingness to do His will and obey Him. Ezekiel says, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. Besides an undivided heart, he says, I'll give them a new spirit. A new spirit. The New Testament calls that being born again. Jesus said, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven unless you are born again. It calls it being a new creation. Paul writes and says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Peter writes about it and calls it the new birth. The new birth. We've been born anew in Christ. It means having a personal relationship of having the Spirit of the Lord Jesus in your heart, your one undivided heart. Where He is Lord over your life, Lord over your actions and your family, Lord over your actions in the world, one heart undivided. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Him. A new spirit in your life. The Bible says, 1 John 5, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. He's either there or not in your one heart, or He's not there. I write these things you believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. He says, I will give them a, a heart of flesh, an undivided heart, and a new spirit, and they will be My people, and I will be their God. That means a personal relationship with God. To know God. To walk. To talk with Him daily. Daily. God's promise is for taking out the heart of stone, giving us an undivided heart, giving us a new spirit. And God's promise is for a heart of flesh. What is a heart of flesh as the Bible's talking about here? We all have hearts of flesh literally, physically, but it's talking about something different. What is a heart of flesh according to the Bible to the prophet Ezekiel here? A heart of flesh is a humble heart. A humble heart. Not arrogant. Not self-righteous. Know that you're sinful. Know that you're freely forgiven by grace. Why? Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that He might lift you up in due time. What is the heart of flesh? It's a humble heart. What is the heart of flesh? <clears throat> it's a selfless heart. A selfless heart. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. The Spirit of the world says, conform. What would be fun and enjoyable for me? The Spirit of God says, what can I do that will be good? That will benefit others. 1 Corinthians 10.24 says, Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. It's an attitude that can be as radical even as that of Moses or Paul. Moses himself, he said to God, 
if you won't forgive the people for making this golden calf, then blot my name out of the book of life. God says, can't do that. Nice thought. Nice offer, Moses. But I can't do that. There's only one who can be given for somebody else's life. And that's His Son, Jesus Christ. Paul writes in Romans 9, and he says, I wish that for my, the sake of my people Israel that I ended up in hell if that were possible. But he knows it's not. Only one did that, and that was the man Jesus Christ, the mediator between God and men. A heart of flesh is a humble heart. A heart of flesh is a selfless heart. A heart of flesh is a loving heart. God has poured His love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom He has given to us. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Jesus said it in the Golden Rule, do to others as you would have them do to you. The world says, think about what yourself. Think about what fun and pleasure you can have. That's all you need to do, says the world. God says, spend your time thinking about other people. What you can do to benefit their lives. A heart of flesh is a humble heart, a selfless heart, a loving heart. A heart of flesh is a merciful, forgiving heart. Luke 6.36 says, Be merciful as your Father is merciful. He's been merciful to us. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Micah 6.8 says, He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require? Act justice. Act justly. Love mercy. And walk humbly with your God. What is a heart of flesh? It's an undivided heart that holds God first. Others second. And yourself third. Last. It desires good godly things for others. It desires that all people might come to faith and repentance in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we thank You, Lord, for the truth of Your Word and the power of Your Word. Thank You, Lord, that uh, when we believed in You, You you tore out the heart of stone and gave us a heart of flesh, a new spirit, an undivided heart, Lord, and so many times we haven't lived that way and have fallen far short of what You made us to be, what You saved us to be. I just ask, Lord, that we would not conform to the ways of the world in greed and pleasure, but that we would be transformed into the image of Your Son, Jesus Christ, to lay down our lives for the sake of others. For I pray it in Christ's name. Amen.